The following message is from North Place Church. For more information about North Place Church, visit northplacechurch.com. I want to begin uh, sharing with you just briefly what the Lord has placed on my heart, just to kind of frame our conversation tonight, to give you a little perspective headed in the next few hours of the Christmas season. I want to begin in Matthew chapter 1. It is a very um, well-known passage of scripture for a Christmas Eve service like this. And let me challenge you, let me give you a warning before I jump into this devotion. Let me just challenge you not to let the familiarity of this story rob you from seeing its beauty one more time. It's the most beautiful story, but yet we've heard it so many times, I think we miss the depth and the significance of it. So don't let the familiarity rob you of the beauty tonight. Matthew chapter 1 verse 21, it says, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. This is what the angel is telling Mary. The reason you should name him Jesus is because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus is the same name as the Old Testament name Joshua and it simply means deliverer and that's why you're going to give him the name Jesus, the angel said, because he will save or deliver his people from their sins. Verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. His given name is Jesus. That's what people are going to refer to him as. But a descriptive title of the kind of individual this is going to be is Emmanuel, because he in his very nature is going to be literally God walking with us, Emmanuel. This passage doesn't simply announce the birth of a baby. The significance of this announcement is that God became a baby. We've been reading about it all month from uh, the prophecy of Isaiah all during the season of Advent. And in Isaiah 9, 6, Isaiah makes this statement. For to us a child is born... To us, a son is given. I want you to to notice the difference in the way the prophet refers to the child and the way he refers to the son. Pay close attention. A child is born, but a son is given. Now follow me. The son existed before the child was born. The virgin gave birth to a child. But the son existed before the virgin was born because the son is God. The son was given to us. He wasn't just born. Why? Because it had been the father's will all along to be with us. All that he ever wanted, all that God the father ever wanted from the beginning was a relationship with us. He created us to be with us. He created the garden of Eden as a place to hang out with us. God's desire since the beginning has been to dwell with his people. He created us to have fellowship, but sin severed that relationship. Sin separated us from God. And from that moment of separation, the rest of the Bible is a narrative. It is a story of how this loving God will do whatever is necessary to be in a relationship that we destroyed. We ruined it. We run from him continually, and yet in his love, even though the separation was caused by us, he chases after us, he pursues after us in love. And he's been doing that since the third chapter of the book of Genesis. 
The story of the Bible is this amazing story of love and redemption where a faithful God pursues an exiled people. He pursues us in love even while we are being unfaithful to him simply because he desires a relationship with us that badly. When you read the early pages of the Bible, the first few chapters of the book of Genesis, there's no church there, there's no temple, there's no cathedral. It's just the presence of God in a very authentic, unfiltered, uninhibited way. Walking, God came down and walked with Adam and Eve in a very real and intimate way. There was no building that could house his presence, no cathedral, no church, no temple. But sin messed that closeness up. The the connection that God had with humanity was messed up because sin creates distance between us and God. So from that moment on, God set out on a mission to find a new way to be with us. So early on, he instructs his people to build a mobile tabernacle. And everywhere they moved in the wilderness, they would reconstruct and destruct that tabernacle and take it with them. And eventually, they became, instead of a wandering people, they they established a residence and God instructed them to build a temple. And in that tabernacle and in that temple is the place that God's presence would come so that he could hang out with his people. But the only people that could go into that holy place in that temple where the presence of God was, was a privileged few on certain days of the year and only after they had followed or adhered to a very strict set of rules. A few people on one day a year after a set of rules was followed. He was hanging out with us, but the rest of the world only got to see it through the priest. But listen to what the Apostle John says. Generations come and go. People die in that kind of worship because that's where God revealed himself in the temple, in the tabernacle. But yet John is writing about the birth of Jesus. And as he writes about the birth of Jesus, it appears that God's desire to chase after us, that God's desire to be in relationship with us, his passion for that stepped up to a whole nother level by sending us Jesus. Because this is what John says in John 1.14, the word, which is a reference or a title also given to Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. The words that John uses that made his dwelling among us, the words that he uses there, they literally mean Jesus tabernacled among us. And John chooses that language intentionally because he wants us to know that the same presence of God that walked with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and the same presence of God that filled that mobile tabernacle, and the same presence of God that filled the holiest of holies in the temple, that same glorious presence of God is now embodied in flesh in this baby whose name is Jesus, who will be called Emmanuel because literally he is God with us. Emmanuel means God with us. He wanted to be with us so badly that he became one of us. He wanted us to know him so badly he sent Jesus. If you want to know what God is like, study Jesus. You want to know what God is like, study the Emmanuel. When Paul is writing to the church at Colossae, in his letter, Colossians 1.19, this is what he says. For God was pleased to have all his fullness 
dwell in him, and that is a reference to Jesus. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus. You would think that if God was going to come to earth, there would be some type of fanfare or celebrity status, but that's not the way God decided to come hang out with us. He could have been born in a castle, but he chose a barn. He could have been on a throne, but he chose a feed trough. He could have had a king's court, but he chose barnyard animals. He could have chosen to be born among the wealthy, but he chose a peasant virgin girl to be his mother. Why would God make his grand entrance in such a humble way? So that you could relate to him? So that we would feel like he is approachable? So that he could identify with us. So that we could understand him. His lowly, humble entrance was a hint of who he came to hang out with. He didn't come out. He he came to hang out with anybody. But he didn't want us to believe that because he had all of these titles like King of Kings and Lord of Lords and Mighty God and Wonderful Counselor and Emmanuel. That he came for the aristocracy and he came for the elite. He wanted us to know that he came for the sinner. He came for the broken. He came for the disenfranchised. He came for the outcast. And the baby Jesus that came in that very humble way grew up to be an adult Jesus that lived that out. Always reaching out in love to the disenfranchised. He wanted to be somebody. God revealed himself in Jesus as somebody that we could relate to. I want you to listen to a very descriptive passage of the Christmas story. You see, Christmas is the way that God gets to us. But Jesus didn't just come to show up. He didn't just come to get to us. There was a purpose for his coming. He came. Christmas is the story of how he came. But there was a purpose to Christmas. The purpose behind Christmas is that God wanted to be with us so badly. He's trying to restore a relationship with you and I like he had with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. He wants that back. And it's never been that way again. And so he sends his son, clothes him in human flesh. And that's the story of Christmas. God becomes a man. But the reason God became a man is so that Jesus could provide a way for you and I to be in relationship with the father because that's all the father ever wanted from the very beginning is to just be with us and so that's why you have the story of him giving his life and the cross is so that he could cover sin and provide a way for sinful people to be in relationship with a holy God tomorrow when you get ready to read the Christmas story as a family if it's one of your traditions and if it's not start it tomorrow When you read the Christmas story, you're probably going to turn to to Luke or Matthew. You're probably not going to read this version of the Christmas story, but it's there. And what I'm about to read to you is the story behind the Christmas story. It was what was going on before Mary and Joseph's name were ever written. This This is how the Son was given. This is how Emmanuel became God with us. And the Apostle Paul writes this version of the Christmas story in Philippians 2, verse 6, when it says, who, a reference to Jesus, being in the very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. That means he he was God, but he was willing to allow himself to be a baby born in a manger to a peasant girl. He made himself nothing. 
by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross, because he didn't just come to show up. Christmas has an intent. God became man to build a bridge so that you would have a way back to God. And it was necessary that he finish what he came to do. And he was obedient to death, even death on a cross. Verse 9 says, Therefore God highly exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Christmas is the story of how Jesus came because God wanted to be in relationship with you. 365 days ago at this very hour, this very moment, we were in a service just like this and Jesus was revealing himself so strongly to a man named Tom that it changed the entire eternal destiny of his life but also his here and now. I want you to see Tom's story. I was baptized uh, Roman Catholic uh, as an infant and um, went to Sunday school and I really wasn't interested in God, religion at that time. And, um, and then life went on. Life went on. I didn't go to church regularly. I didn't have, you know, I didn't seek out Jesus in my life. I just didn't feel like, you know, connected. Leading up to Christmas Eve of last year, I felt like I was being drawn to North Place. I had been to North Place before as a guest, as a visitor, but something was different about leading up to last year. Um, I just felt being drawn, I was drawn to the church. And um, came to the Christmas Eve candlelight service, was tremendously moved by it. Um, leaving that evening, it was almost like, I felt like a switch had been flipped inside of me. And following the Christmas Eve service last year, I just felt newly committed, like I wanted to learn more, I wanted to have, have Jesus be more a part of my life. So I didn't understand what I was feeling inside exactly. So I met, went to the guest reception in the beginning of April to meet Pastor Brian and I was talking to him and I was thanking him for everything he was doing and the church was doing and he proceeded to explain to me that it had nothing to do with them per se. That he explained to me how the Holy Spirit works and you know there, there was always this hungriness in my heart yearning for Jesus and it was just coming out now. I believe that there was, there was that hunger in my heart for that something that was missing that was drawing me to the church. And from that evening on, my life's been completely changed. I feel completely different inside. When we had the Compassion Challenge here last month, I participated in going out to the Freeman House and connecting with some of the people, some of the residents there. You know, being a recovering alcoholic for 16 years, I was able to connect with them and give them some insight on what's helped me get to the point where I am in my life. One thing I want to say to everyone here tonight that if you, if you open your heart to Jesus, it's just amazing what He could do for your life. I was a person that was always focused on myself, taking care of my own business. Now. Virtually overnight, it, my life was transformed into just wanting to serve the church and serve Jesus through the church. And, it's, and it bring, it's brought a joy and peace to my heart that I can't put into words.
I know it's only been a year, but it's just been a tremendous journey. I don't know if you noticed how many times Tom referenced the Spirit of God or the Spirit of Christ that was drawing him. You know why that happens? It's because God wants to be with us. God wanted to be with Tom. God wanted to be with me. I can give you the date that I became aware, November the 18th of 1990. And he had wanted that long before I became aware. He wanted it long before Tom became aware. And Tom would tell you that this last year has been the most spiritually vibrant of his entire life because he finally realized that God that created the universe wants to be in relationship with me. And that's what the story of Christmas is all about. And, and, and like he said, a, a switch went off in his head last year about this time, hearing some version of the Christmas story that we did last year. That God would become a man so that I could understand him. That I could know the love of God by knowing a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. I believe he's here in this very moment drawing every one of us in a, into a deeper relationship with him than we've ever known. For some of us, it may be the first time. For others, this is our 50th Christmas, and every year as you grow in Christ, there, there can be this deeper intimacy and deeper revelation. It doesn't have to be monotonous tradition and religion and routine that you do on certain segments of your life and year. It, it's not something you go to. It's a life you live. And there can be vibrancy to it and vitality to it. And I believe with all of my heart, God is calling us to that. In just a few moments, we're going to celebrate Christmas Eve the way we always do. We're, we're going to take communion. We're going to come to the, the Lord's table. And I really want this Christmas Eve communion to be one of the most significant moments of your life. You see, communion is the most perfect earthly picture of what Christmas is. The bread that we're going to take is a symbol of His body, His flesh. And it's here tonight and always to remind us that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. He became, John 1.14, He became flesh and tabernacled among us. That's what the bread of communion reminds us of. He became one of us to reach us. But it wouldn't be enough had he just come. He had to do something to bring us back into relationship with the Father. And he did that by shedding his own blood through a death on a cross. So his birth is symbolized by the bread. His death is symbolized by the cup, the juice that is a symbol of his shed blood. He didn't just come. He finished what he came to do, and that was provide a way for you and I to be in relationship with God. Let me make this statement. Religion is man trying to get to God. Christmas is God coming to man. And there's a difference. 
Since the Tower of Babel, man in his own self-effort has been doing everything he knows how to do in his own righteousness and his own good works and his own self-effort to try to get to God. And the message of the scripture is that there is nothing man can do to make himself good enough except surrender and recognize that he is not good enough. He must, God has to do something for us. We cannot do it for ourselves. And the message of Christmas, not religion. This is not religion. Jesus didn't come to start a religion. He came to start a revolution. And Christmas is the beginning of that revolution. Religion is when men try to get to God. Christmas is when God came to man. And there's no greater earthly picture of that sacred moment of God becoming flesh than when we receive the elements of communion, the cup and the bread. It's so sacred that the Bible instructs those who are not Christ followers to abstain from participating in the Lord's Supper. But I want to challenge you tonight. I want you to let this communion moment be a moment of decision for you. I believe there are some of you tonight that are in the same place Tom was a year ago. There's a genuine spiritual hunger. You're just not sure you're ready. There are all these things that are going on in the back of your mind, yet there's this undeniable sense that the Spirit of Christ is drawing you. You're more aware of it tonight than you've been in your life, that God is drawing you. He wants to be in relationship with you. I really believe that some of us tonight are going to make the decision to step over the line of faith and say, I want to be in relationship with you too, Jesus. This is what I prayed all week long as I prayed up for this service. I, they were asking me, Pastor, do we do communion at the beginning of service or do we do it at the end? And I said, I know it's gonna, we're going to light candles and it's going to make things logistically difficult. But the more I pray about it, the more I felt in my heart that God wanted the communion moment to be the moment where some of us who normally would have let the tray pass by, because we're not really all in, you know, we're maybe religious but not Christ followers. And this is the moment where I just, in my heart, felt like the draw would be so strong that when you reach out to grab the cup, maybe it's something you would have let pass, or you would have reached out and grabbed it differently in the past as a tradition, a routine. But today, when you reach out and grab the cup, it's going to be that moment where, yes, yes, this is, this is a physical act I'm, of what is, what is happening in my heart. As I reach out and grab a hold of this cup, I'm taking a hold of, of Jesus. I want to follow him. I want to surrender to him. So before we serve communion today, I just want to remind you, we practice an open communion here, which means we don't care what church you go to. If you're a Jesus follower, we invite you to be a part of this. But I really believe there's some of you today who are at that place where you want to surrender. And so let me just do this. The greatest thing that ever happened on Christmas is for you to acknowledge what the story's all about and let it be more than a story. Let it be a life. And so let me ask you, to do something with me. I want to lead us in a prayer together as a congregation, and I'm going to ask you all to pray it with me today. And for some of us, it'll just be syllables that come out of our mouth. But I believe for others of us, this could be an expression of what is in our heart. It could be an expression of faith that begins a new life of faith, a new relationship with the Father. So I'm going to ask you if you would, would you all pray this with me? Dear Jesus, I confess with my mouth, you are Lord. I believe in my heart 
you were raised from the dead. Today, I surrender. I sense you drawing me. And I want to surrender to that. I want you. I open my heart to you. Cleanse my life. Empower me to serve you. I give you all of me. I give you my whole life. The good, the bad, the sin, and the righteousness. It's all yours. I'm all yours. Today is the first day of the rest of my life. I give it to you. In Jesus' name, amen. I really believe tonight that while that could just be syllables to somebody, I believe with all of my heart those words can change somebody's destiny if it's expression of faith. I'm going to ask the greeters here in the auditorium if they will come and prepare to serve you. We're going to wait until everyone has been served and then we're going to take the elements of communion together. And while they are serving you today, Pastor Bear is going to lead us in some worship to prepare our hearts. And for those of you that are surrendering to Jesus tonight, let the grabbing of the cup as it comes by, let it be an expression of faith. Yes, Lord, I'm all in. I want this just like you do. And let these next few moments be very sacred, meaningful, spiritual time in your life. His name is called. 
Some of us seated up front are wondering how long, you don't want to turn around and look, but you're, how long does it take to get all that passed out? But we, we, uh, we have a hard time waiting, you know? I don't know what it is, but I, I've just been trying to get some things marked off my list the last few days, and people are mean uh, at the mall. Just, I don't even want the parking spot up front. I just want a spot, but people are mean. I think it does us some good to have to wait for just a little bit till everybody gets served. It's an opportunity in the presence of God to get some of that rush out of us. Practice some deference and defer for a moment. I'm going to ask if you would right before we receive communion, would you stand to your feet with me all over this place tonight? I'm going to pray over the elements and we're going to take them one right after the other, but I, I want to pray over the, the bread and the cup and I want this to be a a very sacred moment, a meaningful moment for you. Father, I, I can't help but believe that in a room this size with this many people, that somebody took that cup tonight when at 3 o'clock today they wouldn't have taken it. But something's happened in the last 30 minutes that made them say, I, I want this, I want Jesus, I need this, I feel the pull of God on my life, undeniably. So Lord, I pray that this moment of taking this bread, what is a picture of the fact that you came to be one of us, that God became flesh. And Lord, as they take this cup that says that you didn't just come, you came with an intent and a purpose. You came so that through your death, you would take my place, you would cover my sin with your blood. And when the Father looked at me, he wouldn't see my sin. He would see Jesus because I've made Jesus the covering of my life, the Lord of my life, and I'm in good standing with God. Lord, somebody, somebody understood that tonight. They, they received that. And for those of us that have received this moment hundreds of times, don't let the familiarity rob, it, rob us of its beauty today. 
Help us receive the sacredness, the intimacy, the deep reality of this is life and death. It is death and resurrection all at the same time, and it's ours. Thank you, Lord, for your broken body and your shed blood. Thank you for being one of us so that you could save us. Will you add your blessing to these elements today in our hearts as we receive them? In Jesus' name, amen. You may receive the bread. Thank you. Thank you, Father. You may receive the cup. Thank you for Christmas, Lord. I don't know, from my point of view, every time I'm in a communion service like this and I see so many people take the cup, something inside of me that says, I'm one of them. I'm a part of that family. You see, only people that take the cup are the family. It doesn't matter what race you're a part of, what language you speak, where you live. Some of our family are being persecuted and given their lives. But the people that take this cup number themselves all the way back to the first time that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John sat with Jesus and taken this cup. And millions of people since that time have numbered themselves with those disciples and said, I'm a Jesus follower. I'm one of them. And tonight, you have done the same. As we close tonight, I want us to turn our hearts back to the advent wreath and the Christ candle in the center. I want you to notice this tonight that it's not coincidence that we have chosen as a culture to celebrate the birth of Jesus who is the light of the world around the winter equinox. The darkest day of the year for us is the 21st of December. It's the darkest day and yet around that darkest day we celebrate the entrance of the light of life. And tonight as we pass these, this candle, everybody's candle in this room tonight will be lit from the Christ candle because He is literally the light of the world. And by the time we're done, the darkness will be pushed back by the light of Christ. And every candle that you see lit as the lights get brighter and brighter from one candle touching another, it's the symbol of how Jesus has touched Tom and me, and you, and others, and he is literally his influence and circles the globe. Every time I see another row that's lit, it reminds me of another tribe, another nation, another people that have come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. The nations have been influenced by the light of the world. I'm going to ask the service team, if they will, our greeters here to help me. They're going to help me today, and we're going to pass the light of life to every person that wants it.
listening to this message from North Place Church. Feel free to duplicate or to share this message. For more information about North Place Church, visit northplacechurch.com.